0: Welcome to the call to action podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Our next guest is an entrepreneur who founded and is rapidly growing one of the most prominent and educational online platforms in physical therapy called Rehab Science. He received his doctorate in physical therapy from Chapman University and has been helping patients ranging from Cirque du Soleil athletes to soccer moms move better and alleviate pain through his data and research driven approach. He's also CSCS certified, and for those who don't know what that is, it's the highest strength and conditioning certification you can get. So all of you Instagram fitness coaches, now's the time to shut up and listen. He was the first college professor to ever fail me, and if I'm ever wanting to feel more self-conscious about my follower count on Instagram, I just look at his page. Please welcome our next guest and by far the smartest person in the room right now, Dr. Tom Walters.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for. Ow! Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, dad, That's the best intro I think I've ever had. <laughs> <Failed you. laughs> That's Give me the a goal, man. Whatever. <laughs> That's the goal.
0: You know, it's only downhill from here, so at least we start on a high note. <laughs> exactly. And it's just, you know. Totally. Um, so yeah.
2: before hey, we jump in, it's always a pleasure uh, meeting fellow Chapman alumni. Just want to get that out there.
1: Heck yeah! That was pretty exciting. When you uh, sent that over, I was. Uh, it's 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 such a small Chapman world, so it's fun to totally. meet people from there. Yeah, go Panthers! That's right.
0: <laughs> so, before we jump into you know the meat and potatoes of why we have you on here, uh, we're gonna put you through a prefrontal cortex warm up like you've never experienced. It's a wild array of random rapid fire questions called the Brain Freeze Frenzy. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. Do we need to redefine the word pain, and is there pain that is actually beneficial for the
1: body? I don't know that we need to redefine pain, but we need to rethink pain and what it means to us. So I think, yeah, for sure, maybe not necessarily redefine it, but change how we think about it um, and how we, yeah, just sort of how we conceptualize it for sure.
2: Tell us about your morning routine.
1: My morning routine. Uh, My morning routine usually involves all the things you're probably told not to do, uh, (laughs) which is get up and post instantly on social media and not... uh, you know, stay away from the toxic things that come with that, but um <laughs> for me, it's pretty positive because social media in my realm I'm not in I don't have a lot of negative toxic things that happen in my social media, so for me it's um good. it's a good place to start it's positive, and I feel like I'm doing something service oriented towards other people and so i I actually enjoy it in the morning
0: yeah, that's incredible being a doctor of physical therapy and treating pain. Hypothetically, of course, if the CIA were to hire you to reverse engineer, you know, applying pain to suspects, what is one of the worst, hardest injuries
1: to overcome? Oh, man. Um, Or most painful. Yeah, most painful. I would probably say... um, If I was going to reverse engineer pain and torture people, I probably would use either a neck or a low back radiculopathy where the nerve is really flared up. Those can be just nasty. They're unpredictable. They just like, they come out of blue. It's sort of like a lightning bolt from your spine down your arm. It just, people say often it's a 12 out of 10. It just um, shuts people down. Some people get suicidal from them. They're brutal. So nerve pain. I would use nerve pain.
0: Ouch. Ouch. That's why I've been so crazy over the last few years, man. Jesus. All right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Three bacchiotomies later. (laughs) Dude,
0: the (laughs)
1: bacchiotomy.
2: Having 700,000 followers on Instagram can be quite a conversation starter at a cocktail party, but it also has its pitfalls. What's the worst comment you have read? And have you had any crazy messages that like slid into your DMs?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's mostly positive, but I do have some comments from time to time that um, sort of hang with me, Uh, just emotionally. It's hard to not let that stuff affect you, but um, just, I think... Send it, what was it? Ah, man, it's really just... um, It's people who are just sort of... I think they're just trolling to be trolls, and early on, that bothered me, and I've gotten a little more... Now I realize it probably helps engagement. (laughs) But, um, yeah, that's big brain right there. Dude, I used to take those things personally. People would criticize things who actually had no real experience or education area, and I'd take it personally. So I don't know if I can come up with like a really specific thing. Um,
0: or has anyone asked you or like sent you a DM that was just so wild and crazy? For instance, you know, a lot of I, I listen and consume a lot of your content and I also have other people that I follow, both female and male. And some of these females, oh, uh, good. man, they get some crazy mm-hmm. inquiries, you know, like yeah. Somebody from the Middle East with a lot of money will inquire to have a weekend with them mm-hmm. of you know sexual escapades it, it, it crazy, but have you oh. ever experienced that or not? I think you males can are, that to me
1: yeah <laughs> I think males don't get that kind of, i mean I've been on lives with females and seen those kind of comments come in, and I just feel horribly for well. them because we're having like a discussion and there's people propositioning them. it's just annoying um <laughs> I don't get anything like that. I maybe I'm not good looking enough. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, would, I,
0: I would definitely disagree with you there. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not homosexual, I have, yeah. but you're a good looking dude. So
1: the worst I get in that side is I do get guys who will send me, you know, hearts and kiss faces and stuff. But nobody actually, nobody's requested to, you know, ask to fly me somewhere for a weekend. So should I stop that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> does that make you feel uncomfortable? You could, you could hold off. That's I didn't want to bring it up right now, but.
0: Sorry. All right. Well, I, I thought it was just, you know, you were kind of subconsciously, you know, telling, okay, I got it. I'm reading you. That's, uh, I got gotcha. you. So moving on, if you could get drunk or high with anyone in history, one,
1: which would it be? And who would it be? Oh, man, dude, that's a hard one. These kind of questions are so hard. Uh, anyone in history? Um, I probably related to my kind of content um he's alive right now but i'd probably love to have a beer with lorimer mosley who's sort of the foremost Mm -hmm. pain neuroscientist in the world in australia i'd love to just like sit down over a couple of beers and pick his brain for a while he's really changed like how we think about all this i mean um just one of the figureheads that's changed you know everything about pain so i'm also a big george st pierre fan so i'd love to hang out with him for a little bit
0: oh man now you're talking, George Saint Pierre. What a fascinating, fascinating athlete. We can jump into that actually. Um, but man, he he's got some crazy training techniques. I don't know if you've listened to his, the way he's described how he trains, but he's big into you know the neuromuscular connections and big into psychology of each yeah. fighter and just breaks them down like a chessboard. It's totally. so fascinating to to hear how him and his team prepare for a fight and it's truly remarkable he's he's yeah. a yeah I'm, yeah I'm right there with totally. you man
1: there's probably i should probably be mentioning people from the past that are way more influential but uh yeah, yeah right not? now those are big ones for me yeah, let's keep
2: it up in the current and yeah, towards that yeah. has a girl or guy ever asked you to help them fix an inner groin injury but it wasn't injured <laughs>
1: I do have a story like that actually, yes. uh, <laughs> I had a girl, it was the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> I think she was getting a little extra stimulation out of the groin work, um, <laughs> but uh, I did have a situation this girl seemed like in the beginning, she had kind of like a girl, we, we call it an adductor tendinopathy, you know, your adductor tendons attach way up on your pubic bone. and you know, sometimes doing some soft tissue in that region. I don't do as much of it more these days, but I used to do a lot more back then. And You dog. I know. It just, it, <laughs> I mean, it was so awkward. Luckily, there were other... It was a big open space clinic, which saved me. <laughs> so there were other people around, but she would kind of make noises. It was just... I, it, luckily, it didn't last too long.
0: <laughs> I need to be safe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, continuing in that, I guess, uh, type of... Uh, thought process true or false being a psychologist is also
1: requirement for being a PT true man big time physical I weigh it's so I've learned I've found this to be true so much more I've been a PT for 15 years in the last probably five I've really come to realize like the therapy part of physical therapy is really for a lot of pain people it's the most important part it's and there's been studies on this now the alliance and rapport you build with people in pain is almost more important than any of the interventions you do with them. Mm. Yeah. So it's I huge. I mean, that's, that's a huge part for me. And I, I, you know, it's, I grew up in, um, my mom's a psychiatric nurse practitioner my dad's a social worker. So I came from a very psychosocial house where there my mom's go. one of the best at talking to people of anyone I know. So hopefully a little bit Amazing. of it rubbed off on me. I'm not, she's levels above me, but, um, Yeah, it's huge. It's a huge, it's a huge component.
2: Yeah. And it seems like it's worked very well. Okay. Being that Chapman is so big on entrepreneurship and leadership, what's been one excellent and one real shitty piece of leadership advice that you've been given about being a PT or a professor at Chapman?
1: Something that I was given that I got at while I was at Chapman.
0: Or, or a mentor in, in the PT space that you really looked up to, or someone that was yeah. older than you and said you should do it like this and it was just either absolutely phenomenal wisdom or it was just like absolute dog shit of advice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um I actually one of my most profound mentors was my orthopedics professor at Chapman. Um wow. just a uh, amazing guy. Shout out to Steve Fertig. He's in Montana now, which is where I grew up, so it's funny he moved to Montana and so oh, he, wow. but um amazing dude uh I can't say anything bad about anything that um he taught me but um just totally shaped my skill set and really has a huge role in who I am now and what I do on social media but uh I mean I think this isn't a Chapman thing but um if I had anything negative to say just about PT schools in general and it's getting better they didn't implement a lot of pain science um you know and Chapman was guilty of that back when I was there it was new science so it's not really their fault but Right Um, PT schools still, they're catching up, but a lot of them, you know, pain is the number one symptom anyone comes in to receive care for. So we should understand how pain works and teach people about pain and PT curriculums are slowly getting better. But, um, that was something I had to kind of take on myself and learn later on and really didn't even know I had to learn that when I came out.
0: It's so interesting that, you know, that's the number one aspect of why people go into it and it's probably the least studied Component of of what they, they, I feel like a lot of PTs just skip right into the solution versus understanding the actual problem in its granular details, so that it's more effective treatment, right? Like that's should be a no brainer, and that's one thing I really appreciate about your page and your Instagram page. I don't follow you on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebook guy. That's the only reason why. But man, we just love consuming your content. you know and we love having conversations with you know it, people who don't just talk about like oh hey i'm going to start an instagram page follow me you're actually doing it and you're really showing how it's done and uh so congrats on cracking that code man uh it's absolutely what a grind i'm sure you'll tell us about that but um it's just it's really awesome to see how from when i first met you at westmont to now how it's blossomed and it was even big then but it's just you know tripled since then so again just that's that's
1: awesome work to see man um well I appreciate I appreciate the comment I honestly I don't know what I, I don't know really know what I'm doing and how it got here but uh <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't I, don't know really. I, I, I didn't think I cracked the code but uh yeah no it's um it's been an amazing journey and and really was always I think that's part of why it was successful. It did never, I didn't ever start that, trying to grow it. I just started right. to put something helpful out there. So, you know, and I think because I uh, like a lot of things in life, being consistent, and um, if it's something you enjoy, you're able to be consistent about it. And so that's probably the only code, but that probably applies to so many things in life. Oh, for Recipe sure. for
2: success. Mm.
0: I think one of the coolest things that I've recently uh, read on your page that and this is uh, one of the big reasons why I follow you is you also put out really interesting uh, history of physical therapy and I think one of the coolest one was that shoulder replacement, like the first one in like the late 1800s what? and just looking at this chunk of fucking metal inside this person's body can you imagine you know actually trying to function and perform with that like imagine (laughs) trying to move that thing it would just be insane you know could you explain that real quickly Uh, yeah yeah it
1: was the first total shoulder replacement um and it literally it was in the late 1800s it's uh literally this they tried to replicate, you know, if you imagine, right, it's a ball and socket joint. They tried to replicate the ball side, the humerus side of the shoulder. And it just is, it, somebody commented on there, it looks like the ball looks like a wheel from like an old chair. <laughs> and then there's just like this metal shaft and it it's kind of wrapped around the bone. I mean, you imagine like the, the person probably died of an infection or something. but oh, uh, Like you had just, to have
0: thought that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like the history of where, I mean, where we've come from. orthopedic surgery still seems barbaric but what what we have now i mean the the elements and how it's fit to people it's just light years obviously beyond what it used to be
0: oh for sure i mean i'm coming off of a second uh spinal fusion i had an anterior fusion the first time i stupidly broke a screw and caused more problems for myself so i got the posterior side uh done about four or five months four months ago and um Man, it's just, it's insane, though, to him, my my surgeon, shout out Dr. Landman, he's a cowboy out here, and uh, he's just awesome, but yeah, he, he really tailored the surgery to me, I'm very active, and so we tried to figure out the best solution for me, and he showed me, you know, even like 20 years ago, not that long in the big grand scheme of things, of how they used to do these fusions versus today and like how much more sleek in the design and engineering it's just incredible but it's still like this big chunk of fucking titanium metal you know so it's not like so different but uh yeah you're right it's it's fascinating um he's
2: the wolverine
0: yeah exactly (laughs) It's awesome, too. Uh, you, you seem to work out of Apollo Fitness once in a while up in Santa Barbara. I'm, Evan and I are really good friends, and he was telling me uh, that you once in a while come in there and treat patients, so it's awesome to see. Shout out, Apollo uh, yeah. and Evan. It's really awesome to see really two smart people collaborate, and I know it's, it's not necessarily that you're collaborating content and whatnot, but just in the same atmosphere. It's really cool to see. Yeah, what Evan's boy. awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. I know Evan back from Westmont days and, dude, phenomenal strength coach, just a grinder with uh, business, entrepreneurial stuff. uh, Just a solid dude. Yeah, great guy. What a savage.
0: Yeah, what a savage. Um, And actually, he's who I stayed with when I – so I left college early to pursue my childhood dream being a professional soccer player. Um, Was able to achieve my dream, but a very short-lived, if you even can call it a career. uh, I don't, but I would say a failed career because it was so freaking short. um, Started having some body issues, and then I I told myself, if I ever, when I'm done, I'm going to come back and finish my degree in kinesiology. And so that's where we met, and you were my motor behavior teacher. And man, I was just, I don't mean to like toot your horn, but I guess having a perspective coming back to school after an experience like that, like when you're kind of, I I got a scholarship to go there and play, so it was kind of like an incentive, but I wasn't really mentally there. I always wanted to just go play. And so coming back after that experience and having that check mark in the back of my mind, even though I wasn't fully fulfilled with it. I had a different optic, a different perspective going into college. So when I was in your class and learning, one, I realized how stupid I was. And two, I realized like what a good teacher really and a professor, like what an impact they have. And, and that was definitely uh, you for me. So um, and I've always been curious, you know, how did you get into PT? Was it uh, did you have an injury growing up or what was the route? that took you? It was a, was a lifelong dream or did something happen?
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for that compliment. That's a, it's always awesome to hear that kind of feedback. Motor behavior did not feel like it was one of my better classes. So to get that kind of feedback is, uh, it was very
0: data driven and science specific. So I had some trouble following at times, but, uh, we got (laughs) through it.
1: (laughs) Um, well, yeah, in terms of PT, I, uh, I, I mean, I was an athlete growing up and I think that's where a lot of people get into this career. I was interested, I grew up reading muscle and fitness and, you know, like I was yeah. super into just the musculoskeletal system and this idea that you could change it through training. And, uh, I actually really disliked high school. I was going to go into the military out of, straight out of high school. Same. Um, yeah. So like I thought that I was a big, I was a long time martial artist, um, and then thought I'd go in the military. And then I decided I'd give college a try for a little bit. And, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't have anatomy and physiology, so I didn't have any, um, I wasn't exposed to it at all. And then in college, I just really kind of became obsessed with that material. And so I looked around for a while at different things, different professions, looked at PhD kind of routes, medical school, podiatry, optometry. I looked at a lot of different things, but really ended up coming back to physical therapy. I had knee surgery in high school, and I think it just it, it met a lot of the factors that were important to me in life and the material I enjoyed academically. I didn't actually understand. I like it now more than I did when I went into it. So, Really? Uh, it's really evolved. That, yeah. The academic side, I think as I grew and especially learned more about pain and just how complex people are from sort of a biopsychosocial perspective – I, can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. Uh,
0: for, for anyone, you know, our, our listeners, they range from all over the, the sure. spectrum. So, you know, yep. can you just describe what that is real quick for anyone that's like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And it really kind of applies to a lot of health and how lots of health professionals should look at people now. Um, but in PT, we used to look at pain and musculoskeletal dysfunction as very it was called the postural structural biomechanical model so everything was very mechanical we used to think of treating pain in the body like fixing a car and this stuff really annoys me on social media still people post things like this like how to fix your back pain like it's a car like you can just go in and replace your alternator and it's better and it's just not how the human body (laughs) is at all so the word fix just in general and even the term corrective exercise those things just kind of annoy me because it means there's something that's easily fixable like that and you can identify that's wrong and a lot of times with pain that's just not the case so we shifted to this biopsychosocial model which the bio still has to do with the tissues of your body like if you sprain your ankle probably that pain is because you injured some physical tissue but if you have chronic low back pain and you've had it for like years the science on it shows that after three to six months most, most tissues in the body will heal so there's not an identifiable tissue cause for the pain anymore and that's where the psychosocial side really comes in, and back pain chronic low back pain, for instance, depression is more tied to back pain than any physical factor strength, flexibility, motor control, any of that stuff. so wow, it's really looking at how much your thoughts and emotions and your social interconnectedness, which I think a lot of people have experienced in their, during this year of covid where they've had not as their social interactions have dropped off, and how harmful that's mm. been to a lot of people's mental health and their you know, and pain and physical health. So it's just this whole biopsychosocial model where people have to consider, you have to think about so many factors, um, especially when you start to get into something like chronic or persistent pain. You can't just think about your physical hmm. body. And if you only think about it that way and that there's some easy fix, it's super discouraging to people because then they go through those treatments and don't get better. And then they just end up thinking, what's wrong with me? And they don't explore their thoughts and emotions and depression, anxiety, fear, um, social factors, um, you know, how they sleep, what they're eating, alcohol intake, like there's so many other factors that go into pain. And because it's the number one symptom medical providers are really going to encounter, we should address all that when we talk about pain.
0: Isn't it really interesting, too, that the, you know, it's so what I hear you saying is that pain is much more dynamic than what we've been told throughout, you know, these initial years of, I feel like the research and development of the body itself has been just rapidly growing over the last, you know, I would say maybe 10 years-ish. Like, it's been very, like, a lot more people are moving towards that. But even, like, on your point, it's really interesting that physicians are even switching away from, like, chronic pain as as, as a condition versus persistent what you just Mm -hmm. said like even those little cues can help change the way someone thinks about their own pain and thus maybe they feel like oh it's not maybe it's not that bad it's just a little nag versus oh i'm like chronically ill and it's got this emotional Mm -hmm. you know stigma towards that word so
1: it's very true totally that's a huge point it's one that uh, i spent a lot of time studying just language language Mm -hmm. and impacts how you feel about your body and right everyone knows about the placebo and this idea that If you believe something positive, it can have a positive influence on your health. But there's also the nocebo, and that's where I spent a lot of time. I studied this for a while at Texas Tech, and the nocebo is basically something you can take in. It could be someone telling you something, um, you believing that something is going to be negative to your body and it actually harming your health. So chronic is one of those words that's been studied in past studies where they basically surveyed people on different terms, and chronic was one of them they looked at. And just like you said, chronic was perceived as this sort of word that people experience sort of doom with where it was like it, they were never going to get better. They, had the, they were going to have this thing for life. Uh-huh. And so we've moved over to like terms like persistent where hopefully it's not as threatening because at the end of the day, pain is really about threat. And if you can help reduce threat, the person's perceived threat, then you can desensitize their pain system
2: wow wow i feel better just hearing that and it's such it's such a more positive word just framing it in that light really just a switch of word i
0: I remember when i was in high school just like yourself like i tore my acl um not fully but enough so that and i was a sophomore going into junior year and i went into a physician's office uh, in a small town near where i lived and he told me, like, I'll never play again. And he had this whole big surgery planned down. He's like, Yeah, you'll never play soccer again and move out of the office. It's time I got my other patients. And I remember just sitting there feeling like my world, like, because what one person said, like, my world was about to be just taken from me, my dreams and all these things. So I remember a couple of tears rolled down my face. And then I was like, I literally walked in the park and I was just like, I told myself, you know, pretty much, fuck you to that Mm -hmm. guy. And I was like, I'm going to find a way. And I then I found somebody uh, a PT, and he helped me just strength train and learn about the anatomy. And that was kind of the start of my fascination with the body. Uh, Did you have a you said you had a surgery? Did that kind of help shape your experience becoming this, you know, prominent figure in the the space today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a knee surgery in high school. Luckily, it wasn't, um, you know, ACLs are just such a you know, it's a hard one to overcome, right? It's super super um, ACLs and Achilles tears and things. There's some of these that are just Oof, challenging and take works. a long time. And there's a huge psychological impact, obviously, that you're talking about. I mean, people oh, trying man. to return to sport after ACLs. It's it's challenging uh, physically and psychologically. And I had a knee surgery. I, my kneecap was in two pieces. So um, I was born with it that way. So it wasn't that bad. It Just when I'd land from jumping and things, my knee would buckle because it would hurt because the piece of bone was kind of in my patellar tendon. So...
0: I thought it, it was really, from cracking somebody in the face with a knee totally. in martial
1: arts or something, totally. huh? It was a solid roundhouse kick just like shattered my knee on their head. That's what um, you got It That's that's the, a story you should be telling. Exactly. Totally. Um, but, uh, you know, it was... I didn't actually encounter that I remember any really negative messages from the physician, um, orthopedic surgeon, or from PT. But back then, rehab was not where it is now. I mean, I was immobilized for six weeks in a brace and my leg really atrophied down. And I literally had like this grapefruit of a knee and then no quads and calf. It just was, so, you know, I really, they didn't send me to PT. That was the thing. Like I was just in this brace and then my knee, I ended up developing a contracture. And so my knee was stuck at 90 degrees. And then I, then the surgeon sent me to PT. So I think I then I had been into you know training and how you could change the body and then it was taking that same kind of interest in applying it to what what's referred to as pathokinesiology right like where it's the study of mm. human movement but there's dysfunction and I then I saw how training could impact some dysfunction within the body and yeah it was uh, I actually that the funny story on that my knee when I had that contracture I was out camping and I had to climb through this barbed wire fence. And I couldn't bend my knee very far and I caught it on the fence and on the other side of the fence was a hill and I rolled down Whoa. the hill and it popped my knee and tore all the scar tissue and my contracture went away. So it was sort of a, <laughs> that was my first experience with manipulations.
0: <laughs> Sometimes it's just you gotta just smash it and go, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it just works. So exactly. yeah, I get it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So you've, you've worked some, you've, you've developed, you went to school, you, you got your doctorate, you, throughout that time, I saw in your CV, you got to work with some really interesting groups of, of athletes and people. Tell us a little bit about the Cirque du Soleil. What was that like? I mean, was it gymnast and whatnot, or were you working on, you know, animals as well? Like, what was, what was the, what was the deal?
1: That's yeah, so cool. And random. Massages, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. It's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, there is actually animal <laughs> rehab. My wife is a PT, and for a while was doing canine, studying canine rehab. So, oh, wow, they, a lot of the same treatments we do on humans. You know, you can do a piriformis massage on a dog. So it's I, I use my okay.
0: massage gun on the dogs, <laughs> and my wife yells at me all the time. But I, it helps. They like it. <laughs> totally. They sit there it and totally. they lift their leg up, and it, like exactly. I get stretch their legs and hips. <laughs> totally. They love it.
1: Totally. Yeah. 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 There's whole like areas you can go to, but I did not do any of that in Cirque. Um, but uh, it was an amazing job. Uh, I was in Vegas for a while, but I was really hired to work for this resident show that was based in Los Angeles. But I went and they create all their shows in Montreal. So I went to Montreal and worked up there. And the show that I was on was pretty cool. It was um, primarily composed of like former like Juilliard-level dancers and then um, wow. retired Olympic gymnasts and retired Olympic trampolinists. So it was... Uh, we had some contortionists on the show, um, these three girls that were these amazing contortionists what, from Russia. What's and, it
0: like working on contortionists? Like, how do you tell them yeah. mobility, you know, or like, what's the though. strategy there?
1: Yeah, it's actually interesting. That's kind of a cool question because at one time, because we were so mechanical and how we thought about pain. Like, so for these, one of these girls, one of the contortionists, she had a lot of back pain. And like you say... <laughs> we would use interventions, like if you think about popping somebody's back, like a manipulation or mobilization, when I first came out of school, we would really only do those to improve mobility. But in somebody like her, who's super mobile and has back pain, if you follow that very mechanical line of thinking, that intervention wouldn't make sense. But as pain sciences change, we've found that a lot of these interventions we thought were really mechanical are really more neurophysiological, and you can use them on hypermobile people too if you're choosing the right person. But you know, in someone uh, like her, it was it would be challenging to actually manipulate her back because she was so mobile. To kind of lock out her segments and be able to mip- manipulate it was challenging, but it would actually give her some good temporary relief. But it, um, yeah, I mean, she wasn't the type of person that I'd be giving a bunch of extra stretching to afterwards. <laughs> it was sort of like <laughs> try and it's get like, her pain down. Go lay down and get tighter. <laughs> you know, like. totally. exactly, exactly. She was. It was. That group was really interesting to work with, Circus Soleil because culture is a huge part of pain, you know, and Isn't how it? you're raised and the thoughts and sort of we, we I, we talk about it in the pain science world a lot as thought viruses, but like your parents really influence yes. your relationship with pain and your body and and your culture and you know she was Russian and she came from this culture of you don't talk about pain because it means weakness and so just getting her to come in and to physio and get worked on was really challenging. Um, but it was beneficial to her and she, you know, she's very stoic and wouldn't really give you much information, but it was, um, you know, it it was helpful to her, but it was really interesting to see all these people from around the world in that company and their sort of relationship with pain and what they believed about it.
0: It's really interesting. You bring that up. My wife is Russian and currently I'm actually learning Russian and I have a Russian tutor online and she's in, uh, uh I, she's in Bali now, but she lives full time in Russia and I actually remember hearing something about you moving to Bali temporarily yeah. so we can hit on that after this but uh yeah she's I'm learning about the culture very very you know intimately, and you talked about her being very stoic and and kind of not emotionless but just not they don't show emotion easily and it's really like uh I've found. That it's really because the language itself going right back to language and words mm. the that there's no accents it's very just short and blunt that's mm. the way it is you don't really there's not you know spanish like they're singing this is yep. just very blah blah you know so that's I think plays into why they're that way, but you're right you know when I had back pain with my wife, she's always like, ah eh, you know stop being such a wimp like get you know go go fix it you know but it's true. It's how we grow yeah, up with it.
1: Totally, that's interesting. I mean, I'm sure that language is just another part of that cultural sort of one of those variables that influences. I mean, if you have to use no inflection, intonation, things in your language, yeah. you just it's going to shape how you relate to things. You know, it's different that difference culturally and how our emotions tie into our language and how we feel with our body and how we express that to other people. It's um, but it was. I mean, it was an amazing. That job was amazing. It was. Uh, the entertainment industry is fun. You know, it's just, um, it was sort of like half the time I would work on people, and the other half I'd kind of watch these shows from backstage. And those performers are amazing. I mean, the stuff they use. Oh, you oh my God. Incredible. What's your favorite show? I really like O in Vegas. It's, uh, yeah. have you guys seen that one? Yeah, that's probably my favorite one. A lot of divers on that one. Um, I but, love it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and I I really I liked Ka too because being a martial artist, I actually tried out to be in Circus Lei as a performer. Really? Uh, oh wow! Before I was a PT, I went and tried out, and uh, the year before I became a physical therapist for them, I tried out as a performer, and uh, it was a crazy experience. I showed yeah, up what's in that Vegas. Like? Yeah, what it did was they ask intense. you to do? They basically, I came on the day of eclectic talents. That's the day that martial artists come on. Mm. Like, if you're a gymnast, you come on a like a more specific gymnastics day or something, but they had this day of eclectic talents and I uh, I was so jet lagged. I had flown in from Paris like the night before and then oh. drove to Vegas and uh, they have you put together basically like a two to three minute routine that you perform, but they just tell you you're going to perform it. You don't really know what the whole situation will be like. So I show up, there's 75 other people who are going to perform and <laughs> Everyone sits down, you have a number, and you just randomly select when you go, and I got, I was first. So, like, (laughs) the world champion sumo wrestler was there. There was a troop from Africa there. There was, like, just people from all over, and I just, I'm like, I got to get up and spin my nunchucks around and do some flips and try to, (laughs) I mean, so. What what martial
0: uh, art are you trained in and that you were performing
1: yeah, yeah, I mainly grew up doing taekwondo, and then I put a lot of gymnastics into that. I was on a demonstration team, and we kind of traveled around and performed cool. and things. So I had some performance background in it, but, um, and then some of the gymnastics to kind of, but taekwondo is not the main thing they take. And mm. so it was, uh, it so was you weren't nervous experience. or anything, right? Yeah, was not, nervous like... at all. No, not nervous <laughs> at all. Yeah, dude. That's crazy. Yeah, it, was, it was a pretty cool. It's fun to look back on it now. But um, for a while, I had there was a video on YouTube that you had to submit a video, and it was circulating, and students at Westmont would grab it and uh, like make fun of me about it. So. It uh, it was pretty funny for a while.
0: Oh, no, that's comedy. (laughs) Westmont College, for anyone listening, is a uh, private liberal arts college in Santa Barbara, so Montecito area. So uh, that's where Dr. Walters and myself met. Um, Man, that's really cool, though. Uh, Anything else kind of cool, notable from your Cirque du Soleil days that uh, just stood out to you as being either influential or crazy? Or or what was it like working on those athletes? Like uh, the level of their performance uh based yeah or i guess in contrary in contrary to maybe general public what was that like mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean obviously really fun to work on them I mean, they have extreme just amounts of especially the circ athletes have just crazy amounts of body weight strength and control you know like if you think about some of the hand balancers and um some of those athletes that they just their motor control and coordination is really crazy. I think compared to the general public, like in the general public, you meet a lot of people who are sort of motor morons and they don't really know yeah. how to just, they aren't aware a lot of their body if they didn't have an athletic background or or maybe you were mainly yep. a lower body athlete. And you don't know, have much control of your upper body. <clears throat> so many of the Cirque athletes had such crazy exceptional control. And I think the other thing that was kind of neat about Cirque was that the way they have their healthcare setup is that the athletes can come anytime they want. It's almost like being a professional athlete where you can sign up to go get worked on. So Mm -hmm. they could come in every day. And I think that was one of the things I noticed in terms of kind of the insurance-based healthcare model and what it was like in Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil athletes, we were able to get them better so much faster because they weren't restricted in in being able to access us and come in as much as they wanted. And so, yeah, so, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was just cool to see the difference in sort of insurance-based healthcare like most of us are used to and how restricting, you know, how restrictive that is, how many times you can come, you don't know, most people don't get enough weeks of PT to actually, that's why trainers, strength coaches true. and PTs are such good um, compliments to each other because they, they can kind of help carry you through that full spectrum of movement. But in Cirque, we could see people as long as we wanted, every day of the week if we wanted. I think a lot, professional sports in general are a lot like that. And but it also is tricky, you know, in an organization like that, you've got these conflicts of interest where you're trying to look out for the athlete, but then you've got the directors of the show that want that athlete back in, even if so they're not it's ready like, yeah, exactly, so it was a lot of that that was the most stressful part of it was how do just you counter to that push back yeah you is that just your try call? to yeah, it was ultimately the physio's call, so it was just um. Trying to as much as possible, kind of come at them with objective evidence for why it didn't make sense. You know, like we're talking about maybe tissue healing times and um, the likelihood of reoccurrence if they you send them back, and so just trying to kind of bring that data forward. But it's hard.
0: But all they care about at the end of the day is the dinero. Mm-hmm. So you know, exactly. So w- were there times when you had to send an athlete out prematurely and it ended up being detrimental or?
1: Yeah, there was, actually in the time that I was there, I don't think, I don't remember a situation where there was something, I think we got lucky in that there were people that were able to go back and nothing really severe happened where there was some force put on their system that re-injured them. Um, And if people had really major surgeries, like I remember we had this um, trapeze girl who tore her labrum and, you know, and they'll talk about it like a clock. Um, she tore her labrum basically seventy five percent off. It was from like three o'clock to twelve o'clock. The whole thing was sort wow. of torn off. But in something like that, they gave her sort of the necessary kind of typical window to rehab and get back. So it was if, if it was a surgery, they were a little better about it. If it was just somebody who was kinda of injured, but um that's the right that's the tricky thing about pain and injury is that <laughs> sometimes these things are can be really severe and painful, but you can't see something really wrong with their system even on an mri or an x-ray but there is something you might not be yeah. able to see it on an image but it really is serious and so trying to convince people that who aren't in that world is challenging right and right
2: harking on that earlier with the psychosocial
1: mm-hmm. so their their totally.
0: threshold for pain must be quite substantially higher than it would be for general public huh
1: Yeah, I think like a lot of athletes, their pain tolerance threshold is pretty high. You know, if you look at the science on pain, most people have a pretty similar pain perception threshold when they will say it's first happening. But a lot of these athletes, their willingness to tolerate that is way higher than the general public, you know, especially like endurance athletes and things.
0: I remember, so I actually come to find out I had a broken back since I was 14 years old. I didn't know. And... Um, so like when I was playing at Westmont and even professionally, I had a broken back. Um, I had three, three fractures, um, both, uh, I guess it would be the processes right on the left and right Mm -hmm. side. And then also a crack that kind of clean through the, the actual middle of the vertebrae at L5 Mm -hmm. S1. And, uh, I guess my pathology is really steep, so I have a prominent butt. It's good for aesthetics, but for athletics, it's actually really detrimental. Yeah, yeah. And That's so cool. I didn't know. I just thought back pain was normal, and I was always a little grumpier than most people. I wasn't like always relaxed. I was always kind of like, eh, you know, moving around. And um, so I'm not saying that I had this like I'm this ultimate badass, you know, pain guy. But I would think. It was a development over years and I thought it was normal. Come to find out it's not and uh, I got it fixed. But uh, yeah, so general, you know, being an athlete, I think it, you just learn to uh, and grow at proportionally. You know, it compounds on how to handle and manage pains because some pain, it may feel we- like really painful, but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily going to affect performance if, if you don't let it, right? So I think yeah, there's right. a discrepancy there potentially.
1: I don't know. What yeah, you tell I think me, but. totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so much about that. That's kind of that reconceptualizing pain we were talking about in the beginning. I think it's huge for people to know. One of the most important things for people to know is that pain doesn't always equal tissue injury. Like they're separate things. So in, a, in some, yeah, in a lot of cases, tissue injury does lead to pain. Like I said, like if you sprain your ankle, you dislocate your shoulder, like those things usually cause pain. But there are so many other situations where people have tissue injuries, like, you know, for instance, disc herniations in the spine, right? Like, it's like almost like 50% of the population who's, who are asymptomatic have disc herniations. Mm-hmm. The same for meniscus tears, labral tears in the shoulder and the hip, menis, you know, meniscus tears in the knee. There's all these things that are, are described as tissue injuries, but people can have them without symptoms. And then on the flip side, you can have nothing, right? You could have nothing that's identifiable and have horrible pain. And so, you know, you get people all the time too who have, have an MRI and they're totally normal, but they have horrible pain. And so that can be discouraging to people because people want to have something, a tissue to blame it on. Right. And pain is just not that simple. simple. And I think, <clears throat> you know, that's where sports, you know, and I always was really appreciative of martial arts. I didn't realize at the time, but... I did judo and jujitsu, and those grappling, I think, really taught me, I think it helped me sort of, I think there's some value in athletic endeavors where it kind of increases your pain tolerance. Absolutely. I think there are sometimes people who end up getting a really sensitized system. They end up becoming really sensitive to pain, and they maybe don't have a background like that, where I think sports sometimes can teach you how robust your system is. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, there's a lot of people in pain who have been sort of made to believe, unfortunately, by rehab and medical practitioners, um, by certain ones that their system's really fragile. And that creates fear and anxiety and often kind of increases threat. And then people become more sensitive to pain, it pushes them towards developing persistent pain. And I think having an athletic background that had some kind of made you really be physical and um have some of those physical challenges. I think uh like I think back to judo and being thrown all the time and like I what got a in a crank accident sport. a while back. Yeah. Like I remember I got in this car accident a while back, and this lady T boned me. I was in this old muscle car I had and I didn't have a seatbelt on like an idiot. What um, what what was it? Like, I had a seventy two Nova oh. and uh oh, yeah. it' Yeah, it was, but I remember I got hit and I remember thinking, oh, that was like less than a judo throw, (laughs) you know, but if you hadn't, I just, it, I think it helped that sport like that, those athletic things kind of helped shape just how I felt about my body. And I think it made me feel less fragile, but I didn't realize at the time it wasn't until getting into pain and Seeing patients who are really sensitized and in, in persistent pain, a lot of them—not all, but a lot of them—I tend to not maybe have those experiences. And I often think like it'd be interesting to take people with fibromyalgia and different chronic pain disorders and just say, okay, the new treatment plan is we're going to do judo throws like it's and stop be being a plan
0: and stop being a pussy, yeah. right? Like,
1: <laughs> but you know, like we're just going to frame it. So yeah, yeah, we're just going to frame it so you like really can appreciate how robust your system is, like how strong it really is and that pain doesn't always mean injuries. And if we can reframe it that way and gradually introduce more stressful things, I think it could be helpful for people to sort of reframe how they think about their bodies and desensitize it and just build up. I just think martial arts, there's a lot of things out there like that. that could be really useful almost as interventions.
2: Yeah. Tom, it sounds like just by reframing almost, you're able to build people up.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a it's huge i mean that part kind of reassurance and reframing it's a huge part of especially chronic and persistent pain helping people i mean it's not true for everybody some people have a really healthy view of it and their system's just sensitive for other reasons but there's a bunch of people out there who really think pain means my body's damaged Mm. and they're scared of it
2: real quickly could you touch on cold
0: therapy
1: yeah like the cryo and things like that interesting question yeah Yeah, I think um, that's a cool area because there's a lot going on in it, obviously. And, um, you know, we used to only do things like ice packs, right, where it was really specific kind of focal area. Um, And there's been some kind of debate and controversy over whether or not we should be doing that as much as we used to, because inflammation technically is the first stage of healing. So you know, you still see it, and I still will tell some people to do it if it's some really acute trauma, and you're trying to keep that inflammatory response from sort of getting out of control, and surgeons, you know, will still use these things. But then you get into things like cryo, and I think cryo is interesting, you know, thinking about, there's so many persistent pain and other disorders in the body that seem to be linked to systemic inflammation. And I think in the Western world, what we eat, the lack of sleep, Um, just how we run our lives and sort of mental health status for a lot of people, lack of exercise. I think there's a lot of things that are sort of pro-inflammatory in nature. And I think, you know, the research on cryotherapy and thinking about, or ice baths, kind of full body ice baths Mm -hmm. and thinking about maybe how those could alter systemic inflammation. Um, It's not an area by any means am I a specialist in, but I've tried it myself. There's a facility here in town that all sometimes kind of mess with the cryo in and you know, they've talked about people like with osteoarthritis, like knee or hip osteoarthritis, noticing some change from that. Now, the tricky thing with all this stuff, right, is that placebo is a huge factor. You know, if you believe, right, you can really change pain. If you're only looking at pain, if you believe it, you can really there's all these studies where they do sham interventions where it's just basically, it's hard with cryo to make it fake because you can tell it's cold or not. Yeah. um, (laughs) That's how you know you're still alive. (laughs) This is the room temperature cryo. Just trust us. It's a new invention. (laughs) Um, You know, I think um, those studies are really interesting where you've got a sham intervention. Like they've done this with meniscus surgeries where they, take people and tell them they're going to do the meniscus surgery, and they put the portal sites in so it looks like you had an arthroscopic surgery, but they don't do the surgery. And then they have another group where they do the surgery. No way. So they bring in people with the same factors, and they have similar changes in pain, whether they had the real surgery or not. So it just is. And there's other examples like that, um, surgical examples. And, you know, it's uh, – it, what when you believe something it's pretty amazing what it can actually do to that kind of mind body connection yeah. i
0: feel like if it makes you feel better do it if you don't and it doesn't really help you don't do it like it's really <laughs> much more simple than i think a lot of these um you know influencers and gurus try to make it sound and seem like if it works for your plan and you can fit it in once in a while absolutely do it if it doesn't and it doesn't really make a big difference,
1: well, guess what? Try something else, right? Like it's <laughs> Totally. There's so many people, unfortunately, um, and I don't want to throw chiropractors on the bus oh, but do I it. see this more yeah, less. <laughs> I've got some good chiropractor friends who are really evidence-based and good, but there are some you I just I've heard people, you know, it's like, oh, they said I needed to come for six months to see this change. Yeah. And, just like you said, if something's going to really help you, you should know pretty quickly within a few sessions of it. Like you should, I think it, just to that, that that point, like if you just make it more simple and just think about with the nervous system and with pain, if you try to stick to the things that you actually can tell lessen your pain, that's probably a good route to go. But if somebody tells you, oh, this is, you might not notice changes, but it's going to take four to six months for it to really change you, I'd be a little skeptical. You know, it just, you should see things usually kind of have an influence on your system quicker than that
2: so chiropractors can be good can also be totally you know, i mean just like phys- Okay. Yeah. To-
1: yeah i mean just like physical therapists i think uh it's overprescribed chiropractors, right sometimes yeah i think chiropractors unfortunately there are certain schools training programs where they sort of Some chiropractors really believe and think about pain in a super mechanical way where they think their interventions are putting your spine back in alignment or your ribs back in place, and that's why it's helping your pain. There's just really no evidence to support that. So those interventions could help, but to make people believe, the problem is is it makes people dependent on that care because you need some practitioner to do it to you. When really, if you look at the evidence on musculoskeletal injuries and pain, the best evidence is education and exercise, which you can do yourself. (laughs) Which is way more empowering to teach people how to self-manage. You're building their self-efficacy and teaching them self-manage. You don't want somebody to be dependent on you. I mean, imagine. I would say, imagine how. Yeah, imagine how horrible it'd be if you were a psychologist and you told people you will only get rid of this anxiety or depression if you come to see me, you know, twice a week for the rest of your life. Like, there's nothing you can do outside of here. It's only coming to see me that will fix it. It would totally rob people their self-efficacy, and it's super harmful. And Unfortunately, there's a lot of musculoskeletal. In musculoskeletal in rehab, it's good business to tell people they have to come back.
0: Of course, job security, so, there's right? Major,
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, so, that's kind of the, that stuff. Um, that's kind of the beauty yeah, of rehab
0: science. Uh, you know, your online platform that you've been building, uh, going off of the content that you built on Instagram, and you know, I've been using your lower back program, and it's not this mind blowing new technique that's never been seen mm-hmm. before. It's a lot of the basic movements broken down in a really like digestible way that if you do consistently, you will see improvement. And I've noticed that. So one, thank you for that. And then two, it kind of led me to thinking this general population, which is also a big. I'm assuming it's a big subset of your your uh, followers and users and and um, your community. But if if a lot of those general population have poor biomechanics you know is it possible that they can improve their biomechanics through just simple steps um i.e you know like learning how to walk better a lot of people you see running either like don't move their arms or they have a weird limp leg or their whatever i mean is it possible to just improve what a great performance
1: yeah for sure and i mean you always have to kind of go into those things, I think, with what's your goal for doing that. But for sure, like, say it's just to move more efficiently or for performance, you know, like maybe you're a weightlifter, you're a sprinter, or you just are out, well, you're just an ever average person, you've got something kind of funny with your walking gait cycle. Those things you can for sure change with really probably mainly what we call motor control training. I mean, sometimes it's strength deficits, but probably most of the people I really see it's more of a coordination kind of motor control thing where they just have to learn to coordinate. Sometimes people don't even know they're doing something weird. You know, some of those habits can be yeah, sort of ingrained and if you've had an injury, they can get kind of stuck in your system and you don't even really realize it's happening. So, you know, there's a ton, like that's what coaches do. Like coaches who are really good at improving performance really know biomechanics well and will help athletes move more efficiently. When it gets into pain, it gets a little more interesting because, um, biomechanics and posture and things like that don't always correlate super well to pain. Um, Sometimes it's when people are in pain, it's not necessarily about fixing or correcting their movement. I I really try when it comes to pain, not to demonize any movements because there really is no bad movement. It's just maybe your body, it's just the wrong timing or the wrong amount of it, like the dosage is off or something like that. It's, Really, I think when you change movement and that changes someone's pain a lot, whether it's you're touching somebody and you're moving them in ways they can't do, because I do a lot of manual therapy in my practice where I'm touching people, and or if you're moving through exercise, which is what my Instagram mainly is focused on, um, both of those things provide novel inputs into your nervous system. And that's more the thinking now is that that novel input changes how your brain perceives that area. And ultimately, because pain is an, an, is an illusion, it's an experience- manifested by your brain, you're really trying to change your change your brain's perception of that region of the body. And so there's all this cool neuroscience stuff kind of around that area now. But I think when it comes to biomechanics, that maybe can be more of its role in pain. Mm-hmm. Now if you had somebody who had like a stressed tissue, like if you tore a ligament, then biomechanics matters, right? Like if you tore your MCL in your knee, You might want to try and cue somebody from a biomechanic standpoint not to let their knee cave in and go into valgus because it will just keep stretching and injuring that ligament. So it's always kind of looking at people from sort of this, do they have what we call mechanical or nociceptive pain that's related to an injury that is very mechanical, tissue-driven in nature, or is it other types of pain? Like you can have neuropathic pain where it's an injury to your nervous system, or you can have primary or persistent pain where really the pain system is almost disease in a way and it's not really their tissue it's not really a tissue problem. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and then on that, I guess from an early standpoint, what's your position? I've read a lot of literature on, especially now having a child myself, um, I've been already looking at like, you know, kid barbells at Rogue and these types of things and seeing, you know, now you're seeing a lot of literature say that, you know, resistance training is actually really beneficial for young children, you know, even as young as like six and seven to start doing lifting weights. And that was yeah. like a big no-no back in the day, like, oh, it's going to stunt their growth and whatever. What's your take on that? I mean, is it is it a debunked myth now or is it still there's some limitations or... I guess just what. I thought? think
1: it's pretty much debunked. I mean, I think resistance training. There's no evidence. It looks like that it damages growth plates or does anything like that. I mean, I think you have to think about it within reason. I right. probably wouldn't want my six year old to like squat two times body weight or yeah. something like. There's probably like, but I think resistance training has the best evidence. And I, people people think about it as strength training, which it's basically, They're kind of the same thing, but it's just having some external load on your system, which could just be gravity, right? Sometimes it's just body weight. Mm -hmm. Like there's plenty of movements you can do with body weight being enough external load to cause adaptation, but just external load resistance training um, has the best evidence in terms of really reducing your likelihood of having musculoskeletal injuries, whether you're like 80 or you're seven, Right? you know, I think it has a lot of value. And like, for instance, I mean, I have two girls and my oldest is already nine and I think about young females and ACL tear rates, you oh know, God. so I'm already seeing her just as she gets taller and her limbs are lengthening and her neuromuscular system is having a tough time catching up with controlling those long levers. I can see her falling into more tendencies that are associated with ACL tears. So, you know, and the, but there's evidence like as young as nine, like you take nine year olds and put them on resistance training and plyometric programs and just teach them how to jump and use their body and coordinate things and transfer force well. Yeah, it There's so much more evidence for that type of training than flexibility training, um, just in terms of reducing injury risk. So I think with kids, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily feel really motivated to go have my girls lift actual weights, but I think there's a lot of value in ha- them knowing how to really control their body well mm-hmm. in high acceleration, high force yeah. situations.
2: And, and that makes sense, I think, even just for non, you know, yeah. people who aren't as there as you are.
1: <laughs> totally. Like, you can really help your kids by just teaching them how to control their bodies in slow situations under a higher load or, you know, I mean, just be things like push-ups and squats, single leg squats, just teach them how to move with better form and then do, you know, like jumping and things. Like, kids jump and play and when you get to, especially with girls, like, you just, I mean, with both genders, you just want kids, I think, to learn how to move well and control their bodies.
0: So is this safe to say that it uh, generally, it can impact the child's development in a really positive way? The musculoskeletal system, is it, it so it's kind of Big beneficial, time. yeah? Like sports oh, yeah, for as sure. well? I
1: mean, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think especially like a lot of the research has talked about, kind of maybe not focusing so much on specializing in one movement skill and sport, you know, there's more injury kind of associated. Like if you only do soccer, you like are gung-ho. Like we have some friends that like were former Olympians and all they care about is that their kid picks a sport and becomes an Olympian. (laughs) That's a little intense. And I mean, I get like, okay, that's your priority, but you just are increasing injury risk probably in your kid. So it's better to me to pick sports that train lots of different movements, um, which again is why... Didn't know it at the time, but I was lucky that martial arts ended up being my sport because it trained a lot of aspects of control and kind of kinesiology. But I think it's important for young people to experience different types of sports, different use different parts of their body, their bodies, and just um, kind of develop that overall movement well. Absolutely,
0: yeah, man. I think uh, it's pretty interesting you know, and I find it a little hilarious, like the amount of bad information out there, uh, versus, you know, when you get someone on who really knows what they're talking about, it's actually like harder to find those people because there's just so much noise on the internet. So, um, you know, these, especially like with fitness and, and I guess physical therapy, I'm sure that there's a lot of things going on. And, uh, Man, going from, you know, you were a professor, I guess you retired, moving into, you know, and doing face-to-face stuff. I'm sure over the pandemic, you've had to transition um, from, you know, the in-person stuff to moving your business, majority of it online, um, and leaning more towards like the educational and virtual programs and things of this nature. Like, what are some of the technical hurdles you've had to overcome um, over this last year, or just transitioning your platform online, so that one, I guess patient care uh, isn 't sacrificed because there 's a huge discrepancy there, and then two, has it helped you evolve as being a better orthopedic physical therapist
1: yeah it 's a great question i um, It is a challenge for sure because because I use my hands so much to diagnose people and treat them, obviously virtually it to me just isn't the same level of service Mm -hmm. and even though movement exercise has the best evidence for a lot of these issues it just sometimes can be slower and I think sometimes being able to touch someone is really powerful and kind of jumpstart people in that process so in the virtual realm digital kind of like online consultations and even with like the rehab programs um you know, the rehab programs that I have are just very cookie cutter. And I think I always hope that people don't look at Instagram or some cookie cutter program like that and think that's what physical therapy is really good. Physical therapy should be tailored to your specific impairments and pain. But the cool thing about something like Instagram is a lot of times you can just do those general movements and a lot of people get better. It's if you don't get better that you really need that more specific kind of evaluation. So it's tailored Uh for you. Um, But in the digital world, yeah, it's not being able to touch people is challenging. And so a lot of times what I've done during this year, if it's possible is I'll have people where I'm interacting with them. And if it looks like movement isn't alone, might not be the best thing, then I'll try to find people in their area that they can Mm. go to that. Because a lot of times the public doesn't know what to look for in a physical therapist. They just think they've gone to PT. And unfortunately, chiropractic has bad things. So does PT. There's a lot of horrible kind of mill type PTs where they just have you do exercises, and nobody's really paying attention to you, so those are horrible too, so it's kind of trying to help people <laughs> navigate that and find the right practitioners. I mean some of the people I interact with they are in other countries, and they just don't even have access to good care Dang. so it's really you know the virtual stuff can work it just i think of myself really more than anything as sort of like a coach like a pain coach, you know, and because for a lot of people it's not like you were saying, it's not like the movements and things are really technically, the basics work, but it's figuring out how to dose and prescribe those things. There's a lot of nuance within each person's unique pain and how it affects their life. And that's where I think the pain coaching kind of comes in of helping people really navigate what are all the factors in my life that might be associated with this pain and how do I kind of customize this for my situation to move forward. And so you know, it's been tricky. And like this room I'm in right now, we're fortunate. We had this like detached guest bedroom that I turned into a clinic. Sick. So During COVID, just to be – I stopped going to like Apollo and things because gyms were – people didn't like being there. I mean, there's, mm. they want to be around other people. And so this – I just have this building that's literally a room and a bathroom and it has a sliding door. I can – it was really great. I was fortunate to have this because it's – it minimized exposure just me and the other person and I could still – do that in person stuff. But obviously, that's a tiny fraction of the people that I end up interacting with online. So I mean, I think the good thing in all of it is that movement exercise, if you can figure out how to fit it in your situation and modify things in your life that are triggering your problem, your pain, you it has the best evidence, but it's just Sometimes it takes a little while to work that all out.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, online, you're you're essentially helping more people at scale, right? But then there's like mm-hmm. a little bit more of an onboarding process to help get people to a fundamental baseline of, of understanding of why they're doing a certain thing. And that's why I think your platform is doing so well. You know, you have built the Instagram information side, right? And also some... Movements, everyday movements people can do at home or on walks or whatever. And then you've kind of diversified into your rehab science, which is your online platform where you actually are um, offering programs and prescribing. But then you also really intelligently have built, your, you've been building your, your YouTube channel, which is more in-depth, Knowledge on why things are the way they are and I think a lot of people, you know, these online influencers who spend 50 bucks uh, a month to gain 10,000 followers or whatever, um, they can't provide that value and I think you've done a really good job of that onboarding process to giving access to everything anyone needs for whether it's in India or Europe or, you know, Santa Barbara, Um, anyone can access that. That's really really an interesting thing you've built there. Um, and by the way, congrats on the YouTube I watched last night, it was 8.99 cause I was just, I like to do research and watch content and it changed to 9,000. I've never had that happen. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: So if Dude, you didn't I've know been, that I've been, I didn't know it switched over. I've been slacking on that. I, you know, it, I think it's interesting. Like it's really been cool, a cool experiment to just put free information out and, um, I mean, like I said in the beginning, it was always for me just to make a positive impact, and I still get some PTs sometimes that are upset with me for feeling they like, "Why are you giving away what we do?" And I'm always like, "If <laughs> if my Instagram posts cover all of what you do as a physical therapist, you might want to yeah. go back and learn some other things." <laughs> Absolutely, like, this is per- this is pretty basic. Like, this is not like a full comprehensive practice. Like, this just movements. It's not that complicated. Yeah. Um, and executing so,
0: the movements is another factor that a lot of these people aren't taking into consideration. That's that's so funny that you say that then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I just always find that ridiculous, but I yeah, like, you know, when I left Westmont, I thought, well, I just I have all these lectures. I'll start putting them on YouTube and um so it's just kind of trying to you know, it's nice to have a platform where you can do kind of longer form stuff, Absolutely. you know, cuz each of them has kind of their strength and so Yeah, it's been, it's um, always a fun journey for me just to see, you know, how people interact with it and what people are interested in and um, just kind of where it's gone to. I mean, like I said, I never would have thought I'd be having a conversation about my social media. I used to make fun of my wife for her Instagram, like before I had one, I used to like, why would you mess around with that? It seems so dumb. (laughs) It's like literally most of my life now. So
2: (laughs) on that, what's sort of the future for you and your platform? What do you have next in store? Yeah, written. I've got
1: some really exciting stuff. Um, I'm really this year. I'm having a hard time. I don't want to waste time, you know, and look forward to the future too much. I kind of try to, you know, like enjoy the moment and the present. But I, I signed a book deal, so I'm in a, I was with just a gonna with a great you publishing house. Um, Good for yeah, you. like yeah, it's amazing, and it's with a group, a guy, um, just this group who's done really. They did like I don't know if you guys know the book um, How to Become a Supple Leopard by yes. Kelly Starrett. Yes. And they did that one, and they did Brett Contreras' book, the Glute Lab book. So um, they've done a bunch of amazing nutrition. They only do fitness, wellness kind of books. And so we're basically going to take all of my writing and put it in a format. Because the problem with social media is people can't find things. Like you might have, um, you know, like a neck, like a disc herniation, have pain. You want to find some movements for it it's hard to find that stuff scrolling through feeds. Yeah, there's so no search input
0: on specific pages. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't
1: quite and work that way. Totally. And the posts are just kind of teasers anyways. It's not like they're a full elaborate protocol of how you'd work through things. So this book will be, they, their books they all do are like textbooks, like 600, 700 pages. And it will basically talk a lot about what we've been talking about. How is injury different than pain? What are different factors to consider with movement? And then, I'm going to do all these protocols for basically like the 50 most common orthopedic conditions where people can just go through with pictures um, and see how to complete movements in a protocol based kind of manner. So as you work through the healing process, what you would do. And so I think it'll just be like the next evolution of what I've been doing and just make it that much more helpful to people. Um, So that, and then I'm about to pitch a show to Netflix. My pitch deck is almost done. I've been working on it for a year with this producer in LA and other friends. So. I'm really pumped about that. Um, hey, so yeah, congrats, it's, uh, there's man. just some really, I mean, totally, like, thank you. It's just, um, it's been such, so many neat opportunities. And I think, hold on, but again, hold on, don't, day, always, don't skirt yeah, by yeah.
0: that too quickly. Uh, any nuggets <laughs> about maybe what it generally is going to be yeah. about, can we get a little nugget or no, is it yeah. kind of hush hush? Kind of a um, bigger deal. Yeah, because I was, yeah, oh, I'm just going to post a show to Netflix next month, but uh, yeah, so... <laughs>
1: that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a lot in the same kind of vein. It's like, you know, for me, I spent a lot of time in biomechanics and using really for a while owned a clinic where we used really sophisticated technology, technology, high speed cameras, EMG, mm-hmm. force plates, all this stuff to measure biomechanics. And it's kind of bridging those two worlds, like so, high, sort of um, highly sophisticated technology for measuring the musculoskeletal system. And then looking at sort of low-tech home remedies people could implement based on kind of looking at those two ends of it and and really with the same goal of looking at different regions of the body and common problems and how could what could people sort of implement or how could they be tested to better diagnose things and and what strategies could be used to sort of help overcome them so it'll be we have some really cool things in it. We're going to have like a cadaver dissection portion oh, with cool. this guy um where we'll get to see inside sort of beneath the skin, look at kind of the tissues um on cadaver. That should be the name of the show. Gross, but beneath the skin. Yeah. Beneath the skin totally. That's that's, be, hot. Exa- that's a So, yeah. So it's um it's going to be cool. It's uh hopefully, you know, you never know. Hopefully it gets picked up, but um yeah, I'm pumped about yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely, we have a good team of people working on it. So, congrats, man! Hell yeah! yeah. Well, Tell us
0: about your OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I, I
2: noticed. You, I noticed you left that deal off. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. That one's just really crushing it. That's the biggest. Of one course, ever. I mean, just sell your soul
0: and <laughs> sex sells, man. I mean, why not? But oh uh, my god, no, man, Dude, yeah. that's
1: how we met. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so. <laughs> To wrap it up for this, you know, yeah. maybe we can do uh, part two, maybe live one of these Good. days down the road. If you, if you totally. enjoyed this conversation, if not, we'll never talk to you ever. again, and you'll you'll hide away. But no, man, you've you've really done something really that a lot of people couldn't do, and you've put in a lot of work, and you've had to overcome. I'm sure quite a bit of scrutiny from the industry and, and hardships trying to build your page and maybe not, maybe it just skyrocketed, but man, through your experience and your career, um, leave us and the listeners just maybe a last piece of advice that, or wisdom that you've kind of learned along the way. And that's really helped influence you to where you are today.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. This has been awesome. It's uh, I think, if I was going to leave people anything, it's probably the message. Um, I, I, there's so many just myths out there around pain. And I think everybody that's coming to my page, the most, most of the people that are coming there, it's related to pain in some way. And there's just pain is this huge global burden. And I think especially when you look at chronic or persistent pain, like it affects so many people and people don't know what to do about it. And like you said, social media can be really tricky because you got to know how to sift through. There's a lot of good information out there, but it's tricky to know how to sift through things. And I think, you know, I think I would just be really careful if I were a consumer of these types of things and I have pain to just really try to approach the information you're taking in with some skepticism, try to, there's a lot of people who put things out with a lot of certainty. And in the truth of the matter is that there's a ton of uncertainty when it comes to humans and pain. These things are super complex experiences. So I think you have to just kind of approach things with Some of that skepticism, um, try things out like we were talking about before. And if it helps you, then maybe that's the right direction to go. But, you know, just to, I think, have this take home message of just how complex pain is. And I know that probably gets annoying for people to hear because it's like, oh, it's complex. There's nothing I'm going to do about it. But there is a lot you can do. But you've got to come back to this kind of biopsychosocial thing and think about not only your physical body, but the things in your life that are going on, we're living in stressful times. I mean, it's getting a little bit better, but that stress and your immune system and how you're sleeping and what you're eating, all those things can have a dramatic impact, especially on more chronic pain states. So I think mm-hmm. if people can just really try to move forward in their life and take any, if they take anything from this, try to think about all those variables in your life, maybe what's triggering things that are going on, what's making you feel worse. Just try to take notes on those things and just Treat it like an experiment. Try to attack one variable at a time and um, it can make a big difference. I think if if I could do anything, just hopefully giving people some hope that, that there are things you can do because there's a lot of people who are just stuck and feel like people think their pain is made up and, you know, it's just all in their head and so it's just, you know... If, there are strategies out there you just kind of have to know how to move forward and people can dm me or um you know I love when people ask, I like to try to engage with comments cuz it helps everybody so there's a lot of these common questions people have so um, where where anyway. can they find you, you know, on
0: Instagram and yeah. shout out your uh, website you know the URL and yeah
1: yeah. So on Instagram, it's just at rehab science. It's the same on YouTube for that longer form, kind of more detailed explanations of things on Facebook. I just kind of share things over there. But if people are more on Facebook, I think it's it's actually I sometimes forget. I think my handle is at rehab scientist. I should know this. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. But uh, and then my website's just rehabscience.com. dot com. So, you know, people and that's where people could have more involved. They could come and actually see me for an appointment if they were in kind of Southern California or there's the virtual consultations that people want more personal kind of help with things, but, um, yeah. And then hopefully the book will get out next year and that'll be even more helpful to people. So
2: exciting, Tom, you have such a way of relating all of this hardcore knowledge drop, like this, the science and the psychosocial and all this such a way of relating it to just human beings. And that's only going to bode so well for you, man.
1: It's, it's, oh, thank it's you. I Appreciate. It. honestly, I'm not, yeah, I'm not the most intelligent PT. I easy to admit that I think it really is the therapy part. I think being able to yeah. kinda listen to people and talk and build that rapport and relationship is but I'm you know I'm not the best at that either, but I think people can tell I think when you care and Absolutely. you're actually trying to help them. So I think that's a lot of the success that's happened for me online is not that I actually know everything. There's plenty of people that are smarter than me that are out there. But same um, here,
0: you're talking to two you know, idiots, man. Just... So you know <laughs> it's coming through and yeah. it's working. Absolutely, man. You're totally, authentic. Well, so thanks
1: again Oh, well, thanks you guys. Thank you for having me on. This is awesome. And I always look forward to opportunities to kind of talk about these things because they're, there's a huge passion for me. I get on huge rants. I mean, that's how all this started for me on social media's rants. We so. could
0: go on for another two hours, but I'm just trying to be cognizant of everyone's time. So, um, maybe we can do a part two soon down the road. Maybe when we get closer to the book deal, we'll, maybe we'll get you on and talk yeah. about that a little bit more in depth. Totally. But yeah, man, I mean, there's plenty of yeah. topics we, we want to get into. Uh, just, we'll, we'll just break it up. So, um, Man, thank you so much, Tom, for coming on the show. Really appreciate you and your time. And uh, you're an amazing, amazing guest. And welcome to the CTAP family, my man. Thanks, you guys. Have a good one. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.